Roger. And I'm Andrea, and this is Two Vets Upstate. As always, take a few seconds after this episode is over to give us a rating and review. Uh, so many of you have done this. We really appreciate it. Uh, we appreciate your time and your effort. They do not go unnoticed. In fact, they help us get noticed so we can continue to deliver original content to you through your podcasting app. So rate us, review us. We appreciate it. Uh, Andrea, what are you uh, What are you eating or drinking today? Anything special? Oh, you hear that? Uh, <laughs> that is the sound uh, of a nine-pin ginger being opened. And I see you're branching out, pun intended. Yeah, I know, right? I said, oh, that was terrible. <laughs> they just get, do the dad jokes get worse after you become a dad? I don't know what you're talking about. They're like a fine wine. <laughs> What about you, Roger? I am pleased to have a, a fridge full of uh, upstate New York beer from the Southern Tier Brewing Company, brewed and bottled uh, in Lakewood, New York. Uh, Southern Tier, of course, making the cutoff uh, two episodes ago, and we talked about uh, where does upstate New York start. I bought some pumpkin beer for my wife since it's pumpkin beer season in our house, uh, which for me lasts for about two bottles of beer and for her lasts basically all year long. Uh, but tonight I'm drinking Harvest Special Ale, which is a pretty unique beer and not too bad. So what's new with you? you are, you're in America. You may be in the Northeast. Can you, can you give us in more detail than that? I'm in my new house um, on Lake Kinderhook in Niverville, New York. I'm wow. back home. Yeah, I moved. I finally moved back. Um, I moved in right after Labor Day. Um, I'm still in the process of unpacking and, and and identifying things that need to be thrown out and things that need to be bought. I think I think all my furniture is here now. I set up my desk and my office and my whiteboards today, and I'm really excited about it. <laughs> um, I should tell the listeners all they need to know. Yeah. <laughs> All the things. Um, let, let me ask you this. And yeah. this is, so we, we have experience buying a house as well. I don't know if you're like me, how do you know for sure that your house isn't haunted? Oh, this house is definitely haunted. No, it's okay. It's, I mean, there are at least creatures living in. I don't know. I mean, I, the other day, just in the last 24 hours, there have been, possums wild turkeys deer and what looks like a beaver even though i don't think that they live in lakes hmm. um but it was some it was some kind of like aquatic adjacent mammal um i'm confi- I'm, I'm concerned that that's either uh, haunted or the plot to sleeping beauty so yeah. <laughs> i mean you might want to check with um, disney right so <laughs> This side of town is not as haunted as the other side of town. The other side of town um, definitely is haunted by the ghost of Martin Van Buren. <laughs> oh, goodness. No, no question. Wow. Definitely haunted by, by the ghost of like a mediocre dead president. That sounds like the topic and title of a future podcast episode. <laughs> I know, right? 
Um, and in other news, <laughs> it is um, now that the sun has gone down, it is the end of Rosh Hashanah. This was. Yes. Um, so it's Shana Jewish. Tova. Thank you. Um, so for those observing, uh, may the new year be happy, healthy, and sweet. And because it's the beginning of the school year and a new season, I think, you know, it's good for all of us to, this is the real new year to me. Um, and <laughs> I feel like to a lot of us, this is when it actually feels like a new year. Um, well, how did you celebrate? Do you want to talk about, yeah. did you enjoy your time? Do you have family time? Um, I, I did. I went down into the, I went into the city and, and saw, um, my uncle, aunts, uncles and cousins and, and it was really fun. Um, it was really nice to see everybody, um, driving into the city is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, of course this year it's really funny, like up until about 30, I got like really nosy questions and after 30, I feel like my family just gave up, um, <laughs> but they're wonderful and ask me about like what I'm doing with my life, like work wise and travel and about intellectual pursuits and not like, when are you going to get married? So it's great. <laughs> oh man. I can't oh. wait to meet your family. I know. And I also found out that one of my cousins follows me on Twitter because Gareth Rhodes retweeted me a couple of times. So wow. that's how they found me. But I don't know if any of my family listens to my this podcast. I know my parents don't. So, um, <laughs> but sorry, family, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, things that people should be sorry for, uh, <laughs> Listen, we, yeah, we need to talk about what happened on Sunday. Um, I very excited. Uh, I can't, you know, I'm basically an old man now have yet to be to a NFL game. Let, you know, Bill's game, let alone an NFL game. Uh, the bills came closer to me right now. They uh, opened the season in Baltimore at M and T bank stadium. And of course bought tickets, went to the game committed to the tickets right it was pouring rain and the coldest it's been since the winter around here so very excited to go a lot of question marks to start the season uh question marks that sort of turned into uh screaming into the endless void at the performance of our team uh Obviously, last year's playoff run for the Bills was nice and magical and unexpected. Of course, as Bills fans, we now get to pay for it uh, all year long. So it was fun. Uh, my wife and I had a good time. We did not stay to the end of their 47-3 to loss to the Baltimore Ravens. But uh, here's to being a Bills fan, which means accepting losses gracefully and what's most likely uh, drunkenly. Cheers, my friend. I think everybody should know that on Deadspin, there is a special section called Bill Spin that is devoted to <laughs> tailgate shenanigans in Orchard Park, New York. Oh, my goodness. Of course there is. What did we do before the internet? You know? Yeah. Gosh. Uh, what? I know. I did actually find, as I was moving and taking some stuff out of my mom's house, find camcorder videos from early days, which... May or may not eventually make it on the internet because there's some gold there. But, um, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Maybe they'll make it to the Two Vets Upstate website. Stay tuned. 
There, are, I'm pretty sure there's some that are like watching the Super Bowl in the early '90s and being all excited about it at the beginning. And then, oh gosh, I know that's how I have we talked about this on the podcast yet? That's how I learned how to swear as a child. Uh, I oh was God, watching that. <laughs> it explains a lot of our vocabulary, right? Like uh, watching my dad, who God bless his soul, uh, was old enough to have to suffer through that. Um, that's how I learned how to swear. Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of people know that. Yeah, I also have a lot of really good like intersections of like Judaism and Buffalo Bills stories, but I think we should save that for like when it. Okay, you know what? I'm going to tell the story now. Are you um, sure it's going to be a long, long Buffalo Bills season? But go ahead. No, we'll save this one for January. We'll save. We'll save. This one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I didn't mean to dissuade you. I'm just saying. No, we're good. The, the, the chance that they go zero and sixteen is, I mean, it's it's not zero, and it's probably not five percent either. So, ugh. let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> so, what's going on in New York? Uh, big thing coming up on Thursday, Andrea. What should people do? Vote. Go uh, vote. Yeah, it's a Thursday is primary day. Um, it was moved from Tuesday. It was moved to Thursday because of Rosh Hashanah. Um, lots of statewide races, um, governor, state senate, assembly. Can I ask you? Can I ask you a question? I didn't realize that it, the reason it was moved to Thursday was for Rosh Hashanah. Yep. Wow. Okay. Good. Well, good on the state of New York. That makes yeah. me feel better. Yeah. You know. It's one of these things, I'm just going to go on a tangent and then we'll go back to talking about the primary because this is really bothering me. If you are organizing, this, this is just a pro tip. If you are organizing an event that might perhaps include participa- participation in one's democracy and you both know that participants are Jewish and you also know that it's a Jewish holiday, maybe don't hold the event on that holiday. I'm just hmm. going to throw that out there. Yeah. It may have recently happened. I'm a little bit hmm. miffed about it. That's a good but, tip, uh, Andrea. That, uh, yeah. Especially if it's Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur. Those are like the two, two days that even people who don't really observe anything else observe. So, yes. So, uh, don't, back- don't mess with that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So back to the primary. So the biggest races that, Um, everyone in the state have heard about our governor and attorney general. We're not really in the habit of making endorsements on the podcast, although we'll certainly give our opinion. Um, I would say that it's definitely a tough, certainly for the governor's race, definitely tough for upstaters because most of the dialogue and certainly the, the debate that they had was basically as if they were like, it was like for New York city And I see a lot of New York City folks, um, definitely my brother and I have an ongoing text message about this where we're just annoyed with people who are like completely oblivious to the fact that there are like another 12 million people outside the state, outside the city who live in this state. Um, it's possible to have both. There are a lot of things that matter in the city that are statewide issue that, that, that are governed by the state. The subway right. being one of them. I get it. Right. But there are also a lot of issues that are like north of the Triborough Bridge, north of the Tappan Zee Bridge, 
that if they end up going neglected, the whole state suffers, but upstate New York is going to suffer more. And I don't want to go into details about what about a lot of those are because I just don't want to get into like the individual nitty gritty of the candidates. But I'm very, very frustrated that like people seem to forget that there's a rest of the state and that they're picking their candidate accordingly because of what sounds nice for New York City. Okay. Yeah. And, and, to, and also forgetting that they're like, oh, well, the other candidate doesn't have a chance if this candidate wins the primary. To which I say, I'm sorry, bullshit. You do not see what the signs are like down here. Columbia County, you know, is perhaps my congressional district and county are probably one of the most purple in the country. And so if that's what's going on here, it's going on probably most of the rest of the state that isn't New York City and Buffalo. And it's just, it's if it's a statewide race, think about the state, not... <laughs> yeah i uh i feel you this i'm just gonna say it okay we have two really bad choices for governor on the ballot right now on the on the democratic side in the the primary in the primary they're just not both they're just both not good choices and it makes me absolutely nuts that you can edit this out if you want (laughs) no we're keeping this all in baby okay Cynthia Nixon does not excite me. I don't know why you all are obsessed with Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia Nixon is a celebrity and an advocate. She has lived in New York City her entire life. She doesn't know anything about what's going on in this part of the state. I really, really wanted to like her because Cuomo is just gross and slimy. But, like, I... (laughs) I also want to win the general. And and I keep hearing from people, they're like, oh, well, Molinaro doesn't have a chance either way. Yes, he does. And if you pick Cynthia Nixon, who just seemed very flimsy to me in the debate, and I'm, I'm again, I've been trying to be convinced. I'm trying to see what y'all see. I don't see it. I don't see it. And I'd much rather go with someone who I think is going to win and then – Put pay very very careful atten- attention down ballot, looking at lieutenant governor and the attorney general. Um, yeah, sorry this this makes me want to like. Plus, who orders locks and capers on a cinnamon raisin bagel for heaven's sake? <laughs> I was wondering that? when we were going to get there. Good. The yeah. real issues here on two vets upstate. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm really excited to vote for her again. (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm very, uh, excited about your, uh, passion on the issues. I would tack on a couple of things. One is, uh, Molinaro is no slouch, even against Andrew Cuomo. Sienna just came out with a couple of polls that show him within just outside the margin of error against Andrew Cuomo. So we're talking about, you know, three to five percentage points. That could easily be made up, or if Cuomo makes another gaffe like he did a couple weeks ago, uh, that could have a significant effect, especially in a state where you can't. It's tough to predict Democratic turnout uh, and the splits within the Democratic Party. The other thing I would say is on the debate issue. I watched the only Democratic primary debate. I was like you, not impressed. No mention of upstate New York, which is a choice that's an unfortunate one that essentially disenfranchises all of the upstate Democrats that exist. Who you sort really, of around, really need to turn out for down ballot races, guys. 
Yes, absolutely. Like we've got a contested state senate and assembly race here, and they could both win and turn out as critical. So if we're not excited about the top of the ticket, bad news. Yep. Luckily, we have some really great local candidates and local apparatus. But what I would say is that when it comes to debates, it is high time, and I'm not the only one, I'm not the first one to say this, it is high time to end the practice of the campaigns negotiating for how many debates they want to have. We need independent political campaign commissions, at least in this state, and I say, you know, branch them out nationwide, but in New York State, that set a number of debates that provide a cross-section of our state that go to places where maybe the candidates themselves aren't necessarily going, where they are talking about all of the issues. We cannot rely on campaigns to make debate decisions that are in the best interests of the voters as this election clearly showed. So a lot of work that needs to be done in New York State a couple of races that I'm looking at, two in central New York, obviously, where my eyes are generally. Uh, John Mannion is running unopposed in this primary uh, in the state Senate district, the 50th district um, in Syracuse. And in the 53rd, there actually is a Democratic primary between incumbent Democratic state Senator Dave Valeski, who was part of that sort of old guard, uh, controversial wing of the Democratic Party, and uh, Rachel May, who is a progressive challenger and a very impressive candidate to me. So I got my eyes on the 50th for the general and certainly the 53rd uh, for Thursday's primary. And um, just, this was just announced, folks. Um, mark your calendar, October 20th. There's going to be a Veterans Resource Fair from 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. at Pleasant Valley Town Hall, 1554 Main Street, Pleasant Valley, New York. Um, just want to get that on your calendar. We'll remind you of it again, but we want to make sure that we get this information out and it'll be in the show notes as well. Yeah. And I guess it's a good time now to, to get to really the meat of the episode. Yeah. Um, there is no guest tonight. It's just the two of us on Two Vets Upstate. We are recording on Tuesday evening, September 11th, 2018. And we thought that it would be good for us just to talk about you know where we were on 9/11 how that day has shaped us as individuals how it shaped us as veterans how it shaped us as new yorkers and you know maybe we'll even get into how it shapes the military and veterans writ large across the country so uh, andrea why don't why don't you start us off tell us you know maybe where you were and and what you remember about that day or what's important to you about that day you know I- Every every nine eleven, I end up being feel like feel fifteen years old again. Um, I was in Manhattan. I you know I I live upstate and I call upstate home now. But I went to school in New York City and I grew up in New York City. Um, I was in se- se- my second week of high school at Trinity um, in. Um, Mr. Huckins bio class and someone came in and said that a plane had hit the World Trade Center and it didn't seem real and then they evacuated well they didn't evacuate us they didn't have they just had us all go from the classroom to the the 
chapel or the big community, like the auditorium, and put it on the big screen. And it seemed, and I didn't realize it was live for some reason. I thought that it was, um, like it just it couldn't be live. They they were gonna put out the fire. They must have already. Um, and it was just a, a lot of students went home over the course of the day. I stayed, I stayed, I went to class, um, listening to sirens all day. And we, we were, I mean, we were all tuned to the TV and watched the, the towers fall. Some of us went up to the roof and saw what was happening in real time and um I had a friend who's you know this is her story to tell so I'll say I have a friend who had a close family member who was on a very high floor of one of the towers and they lost contact and it would be a very long time before they found his remains and I just spent a lot of time with her and we were both like, Oh, it'll be fine. He'll come home. You'll hear from him. Maybe he just lost cell phone service or is, um, lost. I was, uh, my high school was up on West 91st street. So a couple of miles North, um, Manhattan's not that big. Um, (laughs) it's not that like, so, you know, three, four miles maybe. Um, and we had the next day that that dust cloud that hovered over lower Manhattan that day. Um, the next day it was in my room cause the wind changed. So, um, all of us breathed it in, all of us were in it. Um, I don't know anybody who didn't lose someone because that, that, that's the thing is that, you know, a lot of the people you had, people who are working at like Cantor Fitzgerald and working at these, you know, people who are at the peak of their career in finance and you had custodians and, um, interns and first responders and people coming from all walks of life. And, um, one of the things that I, that has just really stuck with me, was I, for some reason, I just started bike riding a lot around that time. And I would ride my bike up and down the West side highway on the Riverside bike path. And there were all these fences there. And there were the faces of all of, well, they said missing there that became these makeshift memorials. And there's a lot of people And I still, 17 years later, could not tell you how, what life choices I've made because of 9-11. The assumption that people make is that I must have joined the military because I was in New York on 9-11. And... Um, it's actually, that actually couldn't be farther from the truth. I probably didn't join the military as, as early as I might have because of 9-11, because I was just, 
first of all, so scared and didn't, it just didn't, going to war didn't feel right. A nation did not attack us. Um, I think the greatest quote is from an op-ed that came out today from Joe Quinn in the New York Times, and it's called The Real Lesson of September 11th. Um, and he said, the main reason I wanted to stay quiet is because it has embarrassingly taken me 17 years to realize something. And what I realized was this. 17 years ago, staring at that picture of Mohammed Atta, I wanted to revenge against the people who killed my brother. But what I finally realized was that the people who killed my brother died the same day he did. And... That was something that I struggled with, was that I never got why we were entering these wars that didn't, it didn't seem like we could, like what, how, what was winning going to look like? And, um, a lot of that was, I, and I, and I, and I'm, it's funny that I asked that question then, because I still ask that question now. And, um, I did eventually join the military, of course, because service is important to me and, um, perhaps something that I carried with me from then was that, um, the best way to remember people is to live a life worthy of them. And, um, I wanted to do something important with my life. Um, but it had nothing, it was, there was no, I thought about joining the military before 9-11 and, um, I was just deeply conflicted about the wars and that now I think that perhaps the greatest, uh, you know, the last, the last line of that op-ed by Joe Quinn is end the war. And that's something that I really struggle with. And I, I, I got yeah. really, you yeah. know, I had just a moment today where I was just like, we're, we're still fighting this war that I don't even know if we knew what winning looks like. We just did it because it, it, someone hurt us and it felt good. Um, yep. And I just... Um, if we're to be blessed by the memories of those that we lost, I just, the, the only thing that I can, it's just never forget has been used so many times as almost a way of putting up a wall about the things that our country has done that may not have necessarily been right. And it's, I mean, we just, I think now we're at a point, you know, tomorrow people can join the military who were born after 9-11 to fight the same war. And it's like, who are we? Right. Um, so how can we live lives that are worthy of those who are no longer with us? That's something I'm asking myself. Yeah, I, I guess my story of that day happened about 200 miles north northwest of where you were i was also in new york and it was my first day of high school the ninth grade at red creek central school red creek new york 
right on the border of Wayne and Cayuga counties up near Lake Ontario. And if, for those of you who don't know a lot about my background, I, you know, I grew up in a National Guard family. My father was definitely a public servant. He was in the Army National Guard. He was in the New York State Police. And one of the things that we were always taught as kids, you know, being, to be quite honest, a huge nerd, right, um, is that, you know, America is a bastion, right? It's the shining city on a hill, and it's because of freedom, right? And so that day was important because, you know, it was the first day of high school, and I remember, you know, I think that we were probably the last class in our school, small school, right, to know about 9-11 because we were in, and some of you young listeners might not remember what this is, but we were in computer lab, which uh, for those of you who remember was we had a couple of rows of computers in a room and you would go in for 30, 45 minutes a day and basically surf the internet because it was cool and it was novel and our teachers thought this is probably going to be useful someday. So you do word problems and mess around on Microsoft Paint and whatever. Um, and remember those are back in the days when website servers weren't as robust as they are now. So it wasn't uncommon for a major media server to go down. You wouldn't be able to access it for a while. Connections were a lot slower back then. So when a bunch of us tried to get on CNN.com uh, for a project that we were doing, um, it didn't surprise us that CNN's website was down and we couldn't get to it. It was a little frustrating. And it didn't really start to make sense to us until a teacher came in the room, very upset, uh, said something to our computer lab teacher, and we were all ushered out of the computer lab uh, a little bit early and joined some more of our classmates who were sitting cross-legged in a dark room where the only thing illuminating the faces of the kids who were in tears, a lot of them upset, uh, was you know a 28-inch TV. Uh, that was at that time, as we walked in, playing the footage of the second, it wasn't footage, it was live. When we walked into the room, the second plane hit uh, the second tower. And so when you talk about freedom, for me, you know, growing up in Red Creek, New York, it's kind of an abstract thing, right? You think freedom and you think that's, it's ubiquitous, you know, it's, it's everything. And that was the first moment that you felt like that was gone. And something we'll get into in a later episode is how that's really how the rest of the world lives, right? We're just getting a taste of it, finally. Um, we're getting beaten down from our high horse. But as a kid, that was a very uncertain, jarring thing. You know, your world changed in a very real and visceral way. And so that's really part one of, of my story. Part two happened. Obviously, we I think most of us were let out early that day. The school buses came early. And uh, I remember getting off the school bus. And I, for the life of me, Andrea, I cannot remember 
the color of the sky any other day of my life except for September 11th, 2001. And it was because it was this clear, pristine, blue day, not a cloud in the sky. The sun has just passed its height by the time we got home that day. And I remember it not because, wow, it's so beautiful, but I remember it because it was so jarring. Because as ridiculous as it is for a, for a kid, you know, for a 13-year-old kid, you had this sense like, okay, what's next? You know, this place that, I, that you rely on, that's your bastion is, you know, what's going to happen next? And uh, my, the ending to part two here is that my, my dad in the National Guard, as I was walking up the driveway, I saw that in the bed of his truck, we had a, he had a dark blue Ford F-150 at the time. In the bed of his truck was all of his army gear, you know, camouflage bags, rucksacks, sleeping bags, whatever. Uh, it was all in there. And on our porch, there was one more basically camouflage uh, duffel bag. And just as I was walking up the steps, he was walking out. He'd already said goodbye to my mom. He picked up his bag. We crossed on the porch. And he looked down at me. And he said, okay, you're the man of the house now. And he walked down the steps, got in the truck, and drove away. And I remember feeling two emotions at the same time then. One was, obviously... I don't know when or if I'm going to see him again. But the second one, which is one that I didn't really appreciate until years later looking back on that day, was pride. Just the most immense pride I think that I may have ever felt, it may be the birth of my daughter, seeing my wife walk down the aisle, have beaten this, but I think what I was feeling as I was coming home and I had seen the things was just helplessness, right? That as a 13-year-old kid, I couldn't do anything but watch what was happening to our country. And I remember as my dad drove away thinking he is going to serve this country. He's going to defend us. And in this moment, you never know when it's needed, but in this moment, that's what I want to do. And, but like you, though, I, it took me a while longer to realize that that was military service for me. You know, my parents will tell you they pushed very hard for me to go to West Point, so they were maybe a little disappointed that I went to Annapolis in the Naval Academy, but uh, any other career that I tried to think about in the years between that first day of freshman year and, and senior year and deciding where to go to, to uh, undergraduate college, every career field really paled in comparison to the prospect of serving your country, defending it against our enemies, right? And we gave that oath about all enemies, foreign and domestic. And 
I know that we'll talk later about what's happened since then. Uh, but for me, that was a day, obviously, like everybody says, it changed everything, but uh, it changed people in different ways. And not everybody is required to feel the same emotions about 9-11. Not everyone is required to be called to the same career about 9-11. Not everybody is called to have the same politics after 9-11. But we should remember, and this is something I, I think about, is, is the unity that we had after that day, the tragedy above all tragedies is that we cannot come together as a country until there is a tragedy. And that's something I think about a lot as I think about the current state of a country we, we now live in and our 17 years of war now, the forever war, and the state of our relationships inside this country. And you think about, you know, how do you change that? And how do you make it better? And you hope and you pray that good people can bring us together and unite us again before that next tragedy. I think that's really well said. I've been thinking a lot about that unity and what brought us together and hoping that we can find something that's not a tra tragedy that does that. I don't know. I thought that our... Our guest last week was Pam Campos Palma, and on Twitter today, she, uh, and I'll link to it in the show notes, but she mentioned that for her, 9-11 is a mixed bag because it did bring the country together, but it also did foster a lot of uh, xenophobia and sort of toxic racism against people who were Americans, who are, I'm sorry, I don't mean to say were, they are Americans, full stop. Right. And that's something we are still dealing with today. But that also it gave us, you know, hashtag forever war. Right. It gave us this conflict that started as one thing, morphed into another and is now tumbling on all three axes to where, you know, and we have spent, you know, are we into the trillions now? We have spent an ungodly amount of money and even worse, human potential and lives on this thing that keeps going. And, and why is that? You know, and as, as veterans, that's something that we have to grapple with is <laughs> what, what could we have done as a people uh, with that capital that we have now spent in year 17 of a war when most people hadn't known wars that lasted longer than you know, half a decade. Yeah, I've thought about this and I just remember thinking, I spent a lot of time watching the History Channel as a kid and nice. yeah, I mean, I couldn't watch it if it wasn't sports or educational. And <laughs> thinking about the Vietnam War and hearing, and it, I was like, it was so long. Why was that war so long? We've lost, well, for the same reasons. I mean, we just kept pouring blood and treasure into something that was unwinnable. I don't have a lot to say. I think today. if, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. I think if 
I think if we are to salvage something out of 9-11, I am encouraged by the number and the quality, really the quality of veteran candidates and veteran advocates who might not be running for public office, but who call us to live up to the America that so many people thought they were signing up to protect after 9-11. I don't know if there was so much talk about I mean, our generation didn't grow up. We didn't come of age. We came of age with this, but we didn't grow up with a conversation about commitment to service. And I think people who are coming of age now have it in their bones. And that makes me really excited. Yeah. Yeah. And we need to have these conversations about what America is and not be ashamed about it. It's... It's it's happening in a lot of the big debates that are happening, whether it's on a national stage, like at an NFL game, or whether it's happening around your kitchen table, whether it's happening on a podcast, whether it's happening on the street, right? It is not being afraid anymore to say, this is what America is. It is worth fighting for. It is why we signed up to fight. It isn't for some, you know, big moneyed corporatist Hollywood idealized view of a hyper masculine American military. No, it is for justice. It is for decency. It is for equality. It is for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? The core basic stuff that makes us Americans. And we can disagree about some stuff, but we got to get it right there. And as we see around the country, we are not all there. There are some people who have some pretty warped views of what that means when we say for all Americans, we mean for all Americans. And if we are going to fight for this country against all enemies foreign, we've got to make sure that we are fighting in this country against those domestic enemies who would pervert what America is and what it stands for. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing? And that's something that I ask myself. And as I try to engage with people, especially after 9-11 and having served for a while is, what is that America? And can we get to a place together where we agree that putting people in cages is not American? Or we agree that Healthcare, wanting healthcare for people who don't have it is not an evil thing, right? There are issue after issue, but it is there is a there is a common vision of America that I know we all share. It's just how do we get there? And it's nice to see veterans turning back inwards after spending now the better part of two decades uh, fighting enemies for it. And, and you know what? There, this is an interesting. Point that brings us also brings us back to today, which is that there's a lot of um, consternation on the left about the role of progressive veterans. And someone, I of course we saw this on Twitter, where there's this thread with, well, you chose to fight in the war. It's like, no, I did not choose to fight in the war. I right. chose 
to serve my country in the way that I best knew how. And I'm still very proud of that service. And um, I said this on Warax and Natasha's podcast that the, the, first of all, there are places the military can go that no one else can go, can go. I mean, there's, there, there is a need for a strong military. There is a need for, to create a safe and secure environment. Heck, the two medals I'm proudest of are my two humanitarian service medals because the military was best equipped to provide humanitarian aid in those circumstances. Yep. But, and there are also a lot of, it's not, you know, criticize the structural barriers that create educational inequality and inattainment. Criticize the structural barriers that, about the fact that, um, Healthcare should be a human right, but isn't treated that way in this country. I get it. All right. The fact that there's incredible racial and income inequality and that for many, many people, the military is a way out um, or in any or in any case, a means to a better life. Right. Some of the best people to speak to those structural barriers are the people who've lived that and had to make these decisions and the people who most understand violence and structural violence and institutional violence are those who have been part of violent institutions. And I think there's a big tent and, you know, the veterans are progressive veterans are seen as a threat because, and not just progressive veterans, I think critical veterans, because I don't think all veterans, I actually think there are quite a few veterans who are not progressive, who are, um, who are quite conservative, who are still questioning um, the fact that we've been at war for this long. So, I mean, I went on kind of my personal diatribe there, but, but... I mean, the best people to criticize are those who've been there and who've seen it. And whatever movement you're a part of, I would say, you know, listen, and, and it's a big tent and there's room for all of us because we all have something to add. And I think, I think there's a lot to be said for those of us who have gone out and come back and are trying to share what we've learned. I think that the measure of this country will not be how much longer we spend in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria. It will be how much time do we invest in America and how much time do we invest in veterans? How much time do we invest in those veterans who are back home taking that same fighting spirit that they signed up for to fight for a better country here at home? And I think out of all of this, you know, out of all of the questions and the feelings that we have about today, about September 11th, I think uh, there is a lot of reason for hope. And I am certainly looking forward to joining hands and standing shoulder to shoulder with people like you and with our listeners all across uh, upstate New York and across this country, many of whom are uncelebrated, doing excellent work. And to be quite honest, Andrea, that's why we started this podcast is to tell their yes, stories. Yes, and we're looking forward to telling more of their stories. We'll be back in what, two weeks? Two weeks. Set your clocks, your calendars. Well, I guess technically 13 days. We'll be back to our usual Tuesday release time. So it's been great, folks. I hope that you uh, got a lot out of this conversation. We look forward to engaging with you on social media 
We appreciate those of you who have gotten uh, reached out to us on our website as well. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. Hudson River Dream, does it make you scream to think about the tunnels underneath your bed? Jumping off bridges, chained up inside fridges, floating